Hey, this is Phil, a.k.a. Corinne. And I'm Alex Berg, and you're listening to the I'm I'm from from Driftwood Driftwood Podcast. First up, we have Charlie Paulson, whose experience as a trans man in an Italian barbershop marked a new chapter in his life. Going back to college when I first started transitioning, it was in Ames, Iowa, which is a a little bit more on the conservative side. It's mostly an agriculture school, so... When I came out and started transitioning, it kind of turned heads a little bit, but I was very open about everything from taking testosterone to surgery. But then in that fall semester, we did a study abroad trip to Rome. And this was the first time that I had gone somewhere after surgery where nobody knew my past. And I was walking around and like turned a corner and there was this little hole in the wall, a barbershop, but it was like a barbershop that like hadn't been touched like since it open probably like in the 20s or something. Barbershops are kind of like almost like a rite of passage for any kind of like masculine, you know, masculinity in general speaking. Uh, This little, little tiny old man with like white hair just like comes shuffling out from behind the curtain and I just slaughtered all Italian skills that I had at that point and I asked him for a haircut. It's like the funny little things that like guys do between each other. For example, like if you don't know a guy and you are crossing paths with him, like you nod downwards. But if you do know someone, you know, like you nod upwards, like it's just little tiny, like unspoken things like that. And like when he was cutting my hair, it was very, like a very unspoken, don't worry, I've got you. I'm gonna cut your hair, like make you feel better. Like you're good to go, like that sort of thing. That trip to Rome was, like an entire turning point. It was kind of like a taste of what my life could be like. It could be something where I have more time to focus on design and, you know, things that I really enjoy doing and I don't have to worry about, you know, do I need to tell anybody that I'm trans? Do I need to like out myself? Do I need to, you know, that sort of thing. I thought Charlie's story was so compelling because he had to talk about some of the decisions he made about how to safely navigate his identity as a trans person and having to do that calculus of going into the barber shop and right. then, you know, being able to be affirmed in that place. It was really, it was interesting. Yeah, I think that was a very life-altering trip for Charlie because when you listen to him talk about going to Italy and being very fearful at first because he was very worried that he was walking into this environment where his history didn't matter, which was probably really wonderful, but also a little scary because he was also like, am I going to be found out? Or is someone going to know? Is this going to make things very unsafe for me? And then find out that, you know, basically where he went, everyone sort of kept to themselves. So there was a little safety for him in that. But then to now go into this, you know, this barbershop and roll the dice. I mean, if you're a masculine person that thinks about hair, like going into <laughs> a barbershop is, is a couple, there's a couple of different things that are very kind of scary about that. He, like, he mentions there is a rite of passage and I you know I can tell you from going to barbershops it's not the most comfortable place to be sometimes but also I love the fact that he talks about this like nonverbal communication that happens with men that was fascinating to me I loved that I mean I think one of the big things is that it kind of it gets at this idea of how he was suddenly privy to these different conversations that I guess men have with each other and all of a sudden he's like navigating that other aspect of gender depending on people's assumptions about his own gender identity. 
Our next story highlights Oliver Sheldon, a non-binary person who, like Charlie, shares how something as simple as a haircut can be life-changing. I really felt a lot of, like, weirdness about my gender for a really long time, especially, like, you know, even when I was a kid, I definitely knew that, like, I was not supposed to be, like, a feminine-presenting person. Like, I always saw myself as butch in high school. I had, like, Zoe Deschanel fangs, um, which were a phase, I guess. That was a not my greatest look. I considered, like, cutting my hair short for a while, and at the time, like, my parents have gotten a lot better now about me being queer. Like, they use my proper name and pronouns and, like, everything, which is great, but then, like, they were not very cool about it at all. I remember, like, wanting to cut my hair, and at the time I was going to, like, our family stylist who had been cutting like, my parents and my brother's hair and my hair since, you know, I was, like, a little kid. And she even, like, wouldn't do things if she knew that, like, my mom was going to get kind of angry about it. So, like, if I asked her to do something, she'd be like, yeah, your mom's not going to like that. And she, like, wouldn't do it. It literally wasn't until I was, like, 20 when I actually got to cut my hair short. So even though I did it then, it was kind of like a, almost like a softer, more feminine cut. Part of that too is I was still working with that same stylist who was like, your mom's not gonna like this. So I'm gonna make it like kind of softer. I'm gonna like do this for you. It wasn't until I moved to New York when I was 24 for grad school when I met a friend of mine who was also in my grad program. He was not the first, you know, other trans person I had met, but he was really the only other trans person I'd ever become, like, close friends with. And he went to this barber, and he wasn't even, like, a queer barber. He gave him, like, no problems about being in his shop. Just let him sit down in the chair and let him, you know, get the type of haircut that he wanted that made him feel good about himself. And I definitely wanted to maybe go see him. So I went to this barber and I just sat down. I just kind of told him that I wanted a really tight undercut and that I wanted like the top to be kind of slick and that's like what he did for me and it was absolutely perfect. Like I remember he actually took like the sideburns where you could still kind of see like the stubble, I guess you would call it. I don't know if that's what you would call it if it's hair on your head and not a beard, but where you could kind of see the stubble and he like shaved them into like points which was kind of edgy and cool in a way like the haircut kind of inspired me to be able to like wear more masculine clothing as well and I was getting he hemmed a lot when I was being misgendered like my pronouns are they and them even though it wasn't correct it felt like kind of nice to be read as something other than female just because that's you know when I got misgendered previously I was almost always misgendered as a woman and on one hand like I don't want to feel like I need validation from other people to be seen in my identity, but so much of how I feel about my gender and my sexual identities has to do with the way that like I express it. It's not the, the look that makes my identity, it's my identity that's crafted and curated this look for me. Now I have a lot of fun like experimenting with adding things that have maybe a little bit more of a feminine flair to my style since I'm not as concerned with looking like masculine as I was because I know that it's coming just a little bit more naturally to me now. These stories just talk about identity through a haircut as a conduit to 
realizing who you are and having a sense of autonomy and ownership over your identity. I think that so many of us go through our own variations of those kinds of experiences of evolving into the identity that feels good to us, whether it's our style or the words that we're using to describe ourselves. One of the things that I that jumped out at me was that Oliver, and I'm quoting, says, it's not the look that makes my identity. It's my identity that crafted and carried this look for me. And I thought that was so interesting because I love the idea of thinking of the look as something that may have helped spark the identity, may have helped like start to communicate the identity. But at the end of the day, the identity is really created from within and the look and the sort of clothing is just basically a supporting player in that. I feel like a lot of times when it comes to identity, we always think outside in, in a lot of different ways. And we think of these things as, it can take on almost like a superficial element, but the fact that you almost have these internal feelings and instincts and this knowledge about yourself and then that crafts how you end up presenting yourself in the world. I just think that that's such a, a beautiful way of putting it. Yeah, I really, I love this. I mean, this is something I talk about a lot in, you know, when I'm out in the world and do other podcasts and one in particular talks about gender identity and style. And I think that there's a tendency to think sometimes, like you said, that style is a very superficial sort of thing. But when you think about what's what the role the style is playing in the sort of like communicating of identity, it's it's actually very intense. It's very it's playing a very important role. And clothing does communicate. It does. We do use it as a form of communication. The first thing you see when you meet someone is usually how they're dressed. You know how they're presenting themselves. And I think that clothing really plays a big role in that. So I loved listening to Oliver sort of come into their their sort of like power from this idea of like, I got this haircut. It was the first time I felt seen. You know, that's the other thing. Like this, this whole this whole idea of feeling seen, you know, going someplace and knowing that someone is going to cut your hair the way you they see you because they're actually seeing you. And then you're going to walk out of there feeling like you truly are in your identity. And then that's going to like, it's really going to dictate the way you walk through the world. I think that that really came from suits for me. Like when I started wearing suits, it was just like, oh my goodness, where have you been my entire life? It was the most incredible feeling. It just, it was, I felt so me. I think the suit has the cachet of being very masculine in in many ways. And if you haven't really owned that, once you put on a suit, it does have this tendency to make you feel as if you're in an armor in a way. Yeah, I feel like it's just one of those markers that conveys all of the things that you mentioned about it. And one of the words that really stuck with me that you said is armor. And I feel like for me, in terms of identifying, I think a lot of times when we think of these things that signal whether or not we're LGBTQ, a lot of times people don't think of femininity or playing up femininity as being part of that. And so I actually feel like for me, when I cut my hair and got bangs, which I kind of have this little bit of a retro haircut, for me, it's actually a lot of the femmes that I know have similar haircuts or are trying to use these kind of like retro looks to signal to people that like maybe there's more to my appearance than you might think. And so for me, it feels like having this kind of haircut is also a form of armor that's trying to convey that message about myself to the world. That's so interesting. I never, I've never heard of that. I know from other femmes that a lot of times you're always looking for things, you're always looking for ways to transgress very like traditional forms of femininity in a way that is like 
queer to you. And I feel like a lot of times I've seen other femmes use like in particular nostalgic imagery and fashion of the past as a way of being like, oh, you think that's like traditional? Let me show you how I'm going to use this to express that to the world. A retro haircut, I think, is sometimes a way of signaling that you're into counterculture kind of stuff to a certain degree. So I think like to people who know, they know. Like I I (laughs) nod my head at all the other women and femmes that I see who have bangs every single day. It's a journey. I think it's just a journey for everyone. Yeah, it's a journey. And I feel like I'm, I don't know when the end of it is, right? Like, I don't know how, I think, I feel like we all are constantly changing and evolving. And in that process, one of the things that I just love about the LGBTQ community is that our language and the way that we understand ourselves evolves so quickly. And the way that we have all these new descriptors and ways of conveying our identity to the world. Your identity, whatever it is maybe today, it has the, it has a right to change on a minute to minute basis. It has a right to change over the course of your life. It has a right to change from day to day, from month to month. I feel like we, you know, there's no real landing until you decide there's no landing. I think this story is important to share because um, not very many people have conversations about transitioning past surgery. Like they kind of see surgery as like the, the end all, you know, to every single like transitioning problem. But that's really, you know, not the case at all. Like past surgery, okay, like great, that's done. But like, how do you navigate the world past transitioning? You know, you finally like have had been on like testosterone or you know hormones long enough that you can navigate like your own emotions but um for example uh when i first started taking testosterone um when i was getting the prescription from my doctor uh he was going through a list of all things that could possibly happen and you have to like legally sign off on every single one and uh he suggested going to therapy the entire time that i'm on testosterone he's super sweet he looked at me and he was like you know i don't think you personally need therapy it's not your fault it's society's fault and you know it's kind of like okay how do I navigate that it was that first haircut that allowed me to embody that masculinity and I think it's it's almost now been like more just my attitude and my whole like aura or my vibe that's kind of what's presenting it it made me feel just so much more comfortable with myself like it wasn't just like, oh, you know, I have a fresh cut, I look cool. It was, I actually look like the person I am on the inside. One of the things that it definitely made me think about is the privilege that I have as a cis person. Like when I walk into a salon, nobody is questioning why I'm there. You know, it's like I ask them for the kind of haircut that I want and like that's the end of it. So I think that it made me really think and want to be careful about talking and thinking about my own identity as a cis person in that way. I think it's this this feeling of power, this feeling of like this armor, this feeling of like really communicating that with like no nonsense communicating that I'm like owning this masculine identity but you know interestingly enough the older I get the more I realize is like I still love suits I will always love suits but like in terms of communicating myself as a masculine individual it doesn't have to be a suit anymore right so once you own an identity clothing can be played with a little more it doesn't have to be so strict it can be you can enjoy it a little more but I will always 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 love a suit though (laughs) that'll always be a thing for me you know what I mean
from Driftwood podcast is hosted by Phil, a.k.a. Corinne and Alex Berg and is produced by Andy Egan Thorpe. The podcast is recorded as part of I'm from Driftwood, a worldwide nonprofit LGBTQIA plus story archive and is funded in part from TD Bank and Heritage of Pride, New York. I'm from Driftwood was created by Nathan Mansky to help queer and trans people learn more about their community, help straight people learn more about their neighbors, and help everyone learn more about themselves, all through the power of storytelling. The IFD program director is Damian Middlefelt. The stories you heard today are available in their entirety, plus thousands more, at I'mFromDriftwood.org. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And our score is provided by Elevate Audio. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, y'all, for listening. Thank you.